Hello and welcome to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. I'm Tanya Morgan from MSF and on today's episode we're going to be talking about the Riverland and Mallee Mesonet. So what is a Mesonet you may ask? Well it's actually a network of weather stations that are all linked together and a network of 40 already exists in the Mid-North. And thanks to funding from PERS's Regional Growth Fund and the Ag Excellence Alliance, we now have 30 more going in across the Riverland and Mallee. So joining me today to talk all things MesoNet and answer some frequently asked questions is one of the consultants behind the project, Peter Cousins from Peter Cousins Consulting. Welcome to the MSF podcast. Thanks, Tanya. Great to have you here today. Um, So we're going to go through a few different questions on the MesoNet. I think people have probably seen a lot of activity happening in the region over the last couple of months. Uh, The weather stations are starting to go in on different properties around the Riverland and Mallee. So it's a good time to get a bit more information out uh, so people know what to expect and, and what sort of information they might be able to get. So just to start with, Peter, you're a key driver in helping get support for a MESONET in the Mid-North and you're now involved in the Riverland and Mallee project. Tell us a bit about your background and why the MESONET is such an important project. Well, Tanya, the, the MESONET um, came to mind. There was a bit of work done with GRDC and they started measuring inversions. And being in that culture industry for a lot of years, um, and, t- and I taught KEMSA for about 20 years, and people um, were, st- were still having a lot of um, off-target spray damage and people were doing the right thing as we would, as we thought, and and still there was a lot of damage. So once this other project got up, there was a one linked in West Australia and a bit through New South Wales. Um, I saw what was happening there. They were only on a trial basis, but um, to me that was it was the way to go. Um, it was temperature inversions that are causing all the problems, and we were one of the one of the things we did as farm consultants and whatever, and, and a lot of chemical companies, they pushed Delta T. And now that we've got the mezzanine up and running in the mid-north, Delta T is only part of the story. And unfortunately, a lot of times when you have a, an okay Delta T, you're actually spraying in an inversion. So people are doing the right thing as they've been taught, but finding out later on that that's exactly wrong. And so um, I think you'll find in the future that people will start to not use Delta T as much. When this mesonet's up, it will just go to the vertical temperature difference. So um, just explain what an inversion is. An inversion is where things are opposite to what they normally are. So normally the ground is warmer than there above it. But as you get, uh, well, in the afternoon, late afternoon, as the, as the ground um, cools down and the hot air above it rises, the grounds are cold, and you get more warm air and cold air above that, and then it locks in there. So the inversions can be at um, any height, really. And, you know, like, not an exaggeration, but if you've been on a plane, you'll see that a lot of clouds at times have got flat bottoms and you, when you're flying through it or flat on top. And that's an inversion, and that's how high as they go. So these go from virtually ground level, as you would see in a fog, and pretty easy to see then, right up through there. Um, one of the one of the things about inversions is that it's very hard to see. The other thing is that they quite often are in different layers. So you might have in a couple of, in three or four feet, you might have have three or four different inversions, and those um, inversion layers are going different ways. Mm. So when you're spraying, 
you know, you just don't know where your spray is going to go. So and that's that was one of the things that we saw was a lot of damage and we couldn't put our finger on it. We started around Clare when we first put the first method up because that was one of the hot spots for uh, for the inversion drift and through the through the bit of cultural areas there. And now we're doing the, the Riverland Mallee area because that's that's the same. Yeah, yeah. So like an invert with a spray inversion, uh, the chemical can actually travel a fairly large distance, can't it? Yes, it can. And um, just to give you some idea, uh, if you look at the GRDC um, stuff, it says that inversions break up at 11 kilometres per hour. What the mezzanine in the mid-north has shown us, and that is not correct. If, if you can have an inversion, and I saw one one day, I watched it, where it was dipping in and out at 22 kilometres an hour breezes. So if you were talking 20 kilometres an hour, how far does your spray go in a couple of hours? You know, it's 40 k's. But um, quite often they'll go numerous areas and people, like I said before, think they're doing the right thing, but this is giving them a lot more um, facts so mm. they can use it properly. Absolutely. So somebody that might get some off-target damage might not actually be getting that from the neighbour. It could be coming from a fair distance away. Absolutely, and that's, that's what we found. Uh, years ago we couldn't work out why and people alongside these people along well, susceptible crops if you want to call them that and it doesn't matter whether it's it's viticulture horticulture even canola all those things were getting damaged and it was it was something wrong and so we, we you know we've done all this work and whatever and um it was a bit of luck really that i got involved early in the piece mm. and so we pushed it since and rick faulkner uh, is the farm consultant that uh, most a lot of you would know from around from around Clare, the Clare area. You just get a lot of phone calls and that, and we're always in trouble. And people were thinking, were thinking, you know, like and and I was one of them thinking they're doing the right thing. You know, Delta T was right, go spray. Mm. But what we found is that's definitely not. So one of the things about the about the mesonet is there's a lot of work goes on behind the scenes before. You, you put one out there. So the situation of the weather stations. So another bloke that's involved with us was formerly with the Bureau, is Warwick Grace, and he's done weather, weather studies for 10 years in the mid-north and, and through this area. So so he's looking at it and seeing where the, where the winds come from, where they are, what happens over a whole period of time. So all these weather stations are not at random. They're put there for a reason. And so that's where... You know, it could be a low spot, could be hilltop, could be anywhere. And, but he's done the work behind that to place them. Through the mid-north, we've had patches there where it gets very cold. And, if, you know, you could be on one side of a range, the other side. If it's cold that side, it's cold on the other side. And so you don't need a weather station everywhere, yep. but you can, you can have a look at that and get the weather from there. Yeah, that's really good. And um, I think people have had lots of questions about the MesoNet because there's lots of different weather stations out there. So how, I know that that MesoNet is linked, they're all linked together, but how else is it different to just your standard weather station that you might see in a paddock? Right, so um, there's a lot of weather stations out there and they all do, they all do a job. And, and look, they're great things to have in your, on your farm, whatever else. The, the real difference is between the ones on farm and the measurement is that we measure stuff at 10 metres that we brought down to 1.2. Um, most weather stations are only a couple of metres high 
if they're giving you an inversion reading, it's it's a calculation that was done uh, over the years that if the temperature was this high, this uh, this height, then it'd be that uh, that height. So um, and there's a formula behind it. But when once we get the weather stations up, we notice that that wasn't always right. So uh, I mean, um, having a weather station is great, but um, we've got these um, weather stations that are really are, and they're, they're Rolls Royce weather stations. Mm. So even even the Weather Bureau are going to their new system where they're going back to doing grids over 1.5 k's. Now they, and I said, well, if they can do that, why are we putting up another mezzanine? And they said, no, no, we need your data to calibrate it. So that's what they think of it. So it's it's good data and that everything is really calibrated well. We, have, we don't have any moving parts. Uh, and so the old anemometers with the spinning cups on them, we don't use any of those. It's all state-of-the-art temperatures. You know, everything is is the newest technology and, you know, it's it's good. Um, some of the stuff that's on them has been used in the Antarctic and whatever, and, and some of that stuff's been down there 27, 28 years and never been serviced. It just never works. Never missed a beat, yep. So, but we haven't got dust down there. We, we don't expect that up here, but yeah. it goes to show you the quality of the stuff that you can get nowadays and, and go from there. Absolutely, and we're really excited to have uh, to, for farmers to have, be able to access this sort of data to make some really good spray decisions. Um, so we know that the MesaNet's been funded primarily for the spray inversion, but what other important measurements can we get from it? Well, one of the things, Tanya, is, is the blokes that are cutting hay. Rid of the humidity and stuff. You can lay in bed and have a look, and we've got people that have said to us, you know, oh, no, we should go and check, we should check. And they've got the readings and said, Hell, you know, it's unreal. It's it's yeah. it's right. And they said, well, we checked it another time, and and it's and it said, it's always right. So that's the calibration in these things and and whatever. So uh, that's one thing. We measure solar radiation. We we measure heaps of different stuff. They've all got a rain gauge on them. Um, so it's, it's amazing how different the rainfall is from different areas. And people will say, well, that's not right. This is not right, but. I can assure you that these are up to the standard, the Bureau standard. So um, that's how variable our rainfall is. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Um, the other measurement that's on there is the grass fire danger index, which might be useful for some people. Can you give us some more info about that? Yeah, we, we, we do that, and um, that's on there all the time. It, it's uh, on the little graph you can go and have a look at. As if you scroll down, you'll see the grass fire danger index. Um, and that index is used is a standard index used worldwide. Um, the other one that's on there is the code of practice for harvest, and that is there as well. So, uh, and that's different to the, to the GFDI. So, if people are looking at it, they they will be able to see what the harvest index is. Um, one of the things about a mesonet really is the benefit of another benefit that people see in it is that if you see a hot north wind coming from the north and in this case so it's coming down from from uh, you know Loxton north coming and hot winds coming down down south that you'll better pick it up a lot earlier and you'll know it's coming and so what we would hope is that you know you see it rising very quickly that if you were harvesting you would just knock off and say well it's coming we'll get out of here we don't we don't reach till it's 35 as the index is mm -hmm. we, we would stop before then and that sort of thing is there um and just on the temperature inversion stuff, it, we have that like a traffic light system where you can see where it's getting to the stage where maybe you should be knocking off. 
And then again, uh, once there's been an inversion and it's the traffic light system, the AMBAT mode, perhaps you can, and a lot of people do, go and load and and then be ready to go. So as it goes green, yeah. away you go. So it's pretty easy to look at and whatever. And um, yeah, so it's good. Uh, one point I'd like to make is that people think that, about governors, about stopping them spraying. Oh, you know, we're going to stop this spraying. And quite a, quite a, um, quite a few blokes actually said the exact opposite. They're spraying at different times. And one bloke who said he was the, the inventor of night spraying, uh, he said, I don't spray at night anymore. So I look at it and I know I can't, but he said, in the mornings I see when I can go spraying. And the old rule of thumb is one half hours after sunrise and then stop one half hours before sunset. Well, a lot of people told us they, they start and they normally start about 8 o'clock and they oh, you can't go till it's 9 o'clock. Oh, I'm not going to get much done today. But when when it's all boiled down, a lot of me watching in half past four think, oh, well, I better knock off. And they've been able to spray like eight, 9 o'clock at night yeah. just by having this and the, and the data there. It doesn't happen all the time, but one bloke said he reckons he was getting an extra two hours a day during the summer period. Yeah. So it's, that's, I mean, that's the thing, and you spray at the right time. Yeah. Um, we're all have to, the, the, our chemical uh, availability it is uh, under a lot of pressure and different uh, 2,4-D and stuff like that. That's what we've gone to, the big droplets and whatever, and you'll see that happen more. I think you'll find more chemical companies will push the bigger droplets just for safety so that we can keep the products. But you'll still get people that will spray at the wrong time and maybe they're not aware of it. So we would hope it's a bit like the Harvest Index where people ring one another and say, look, I think you better knock off. Oh, you know, it's getting pretty close, you know, mm. whatever. And so it's a community thing and it'll be good. And it doesn't just apply to broadacre farmers either. And what you, the horticulturists and, you know, viticulturists, all those people go out spraying and that, that's there for them too. So. Yep. And that's so that's it's it's an all round thing, not just for broadacre farmers. Absolutely, and I think we all want to make sure that we keep these chemicals in the system. So, um, just to have that information, so people can make better decisions and really change their practices, I think is great. And if people don't have to go get up and go spraying in the middle of the night, that's got to be a good thing too. So, um, what are some of the chemicals that we could potentially lose if we don't get this right? Um, well, 2,4-D is under a lot of pressure and, and that group of chemicals, the group I's. And, you know, that, that was, we had virtually lost them and then I ended up being in camp. I was in Melbourne and caught up with the APBMA, JRDC and Andrew Weeder from Grain Producer Australia and said, we can stop this if we go to big droplets. So, and then as it turned out, we ended up going over there and put a presentation up and we, we've still got it, but we're still under a lot of pressure we have to do the right thing, or well, that'll be the first lot to go. And there's a whole group in there that, that could easily, we could lose. Um, and then we all know the pressure that Roundup's under, when, you know, all those things like mm. that. So we have to, we've just got to get better at what we do and, and whatever. The other thing is that it's going to get harder because a lot of countries are changing the MRLs or the, you know, the residue levels in the grain or whatever, fruit, whatever. Uh, all the time, yep. so it's because testing is getting better and better, um, they they can you know come back to a lower level, and so it's making it harder for us. We've got to make sure you stick with the label, and go from there. That'll give you a bit of safety. It's not throw one in for the pot, you know that's that sort of stuff's finished and off label stuff. The residues are picked up very easily, and so and the testing is just enormous, and 
So it just pays to stick to that label. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think that's been a really good summary today and it's really good for people to know exactly what, what's at risk and, and how important this project is and why um, PERSA and the government have really come to the party and, and invested in this sort of system for us to have. So um, I've, I'm really grateful that the Riverland and Mallee farmers are going to have the opportunity to access this data and... and I think there are some other regions out there that are really going to be crying out for mesonets in the future. So where do you see this sort of going in um, the coming yeah. years? Well, one of the things that um, and, and some of the people in Perth said, just keep putting in for more money to get more stations out there. Whether that they do come to that with the COVID and all the rest of it, money's going to be tight. But we're just lucky we've got these two areas up. And they're probably the two spots that spray drift is probably the most concerned. Um, doesn't mean to say there's not concerns in other areas. And if we can get the money, uh, obviously the mesonet will, will be bigger. Um, you know, it's it's just such a, a a benefit to everybody. Whatever, it's not not just for farms and mills. I mean, emergency services, all those people like that can look at it and say, look at that wind coming, look at it's got mm. rain coming, whatever. And so, yeah, it's it's you know, it's we want to keep chemical out of schools, out of towns, everywhere else. We want to keep, you know, if it's a fire, whatever else, we need to know things. Well, they can look at this mess and, and, and just get that information. Yeah, right make away. better decisions. Make a lot better decisions. Yeah, yeah, that's really good to know. So thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I know that people are going to be wondering where they can access this data. And as part of this project, uh, there will also be a web platform built where they will be able to go online and they'll be able to see all the data at the different sites and um, see the traffic light system, look at all the different variables that are on there. Just um, one other thing, Tanya, is that the it's not an app. It's a website-based thing and then there's one to be added to the Mid-North one. So you better look at a big area and get it. The an app, it costs a lot of money to build. We're doing it. Um, as cheaply as we can. We've got to fund these things in the future and we've got to try and keep our costs down. But the but the, the web-based thing, it works exceptionally well and yep. you just click on it and up you come. And, and you can access it from your mobile phone or tablet. Most and, people yep. access from their mobile phone. Yep. You can probably do a bit more on a, on a desktop but with it, but uh, what you'll find on the, on the mobile phone is great. And if anyone wants to have a look and see what it is, I'm sure that Tanya would give you the details of how to get on. Absolutely. We'll have a link attached to the bottom of this podcast so people can jump online and have a look what they're going to be able to access. So uh, thanks very much for joining us today. We're looking forward to having you back later in the year where we will be running a whole pile of workshops around the Riverland and Mallee and we hope our farmers will come along and, and learn a bit more about the Mesonet. It should be up and running by then. So Thanks again for joining us. Not a worry, Tanya. My pleasure. Don't forget to share this episode with a mate if you took some value away from it and be sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.